Get the cheese to sit bay. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Please demonstrate how this is accomplished. So, what's next? Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn. I'm a writer and an X-Men fan. Hi, I'm Mars Lobato. I am a writer, stand-up comedian, and a Doctor Who fan. Each episode of Casual Trek will be watching stories from three different Star Trek shows and ranking them on a big list from best to worst. Ranking things on a, on a podcast is admittedly hardly an original topic. I've been listening to the Ajax boys ranking every story ever um, on Warwick Ajax, Battle of the Atom with X-Men stories and Bat Chat with Batman stories. Um, Miles, have you listened to any of these? I, I have I have dabbled in and out, but honestly, in the huge spectrum of Star Trek podcasts, the, be- the two best people to talk about and have an opinion on Star Trek are the people like, yeah. Star Trek's cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. I I yeah. think that's that's the firm, the firm opinion of casual Trek is Star Trek. It's all right. I I can see it going places, you know. Look, you know, we're British, so so saying it's not bad is not like it's like perfect praise you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah, basically that. Um, what happened was I was uh, mainlining a ton of bat chat while I was playing Arkham city uh, a few months ago and I'd been getting in a massive star Trek mood. I was late for party. Unlike everyone who seemed to watch all of star Trek during lockdown. And now that we're in those kind of uh, later days of it, I got really in a Trek mood uh, reading the role playing game, watching some of the shows, including some of the new ones. And, and I, I like the discourse about, ranking these things it provides a nice opportunity to just chat and talk about different episodes often relatively random odd episodes that i might not have thought about in decades and i couldn't find a star trek equivalent no matter how much i tried and there might be one somewhere but it's not one with the people of our level of expertise i'm sure so as a white man in his early 40s with facial hair and a hoodie i knew it was my duty to make a <laughs> podcast i could feel it uh now miles unfortunately you do not have the trademark facial hair nor are you in your 40s but that's all right because each podcast needs one person with and one without I am closer to my 40s than most of my former former co-workers who weren't even alive when Trek was a thing. Oh, right. Trek's a thing, right? We're, we're still oh, cool. Trek's still cool, we're, right? We're here. Look, talking about, Star, talking about Star, me talking about Star Trek on a podcast is probably going to be less toxic for me than talking about Doctor Who on a podcast. Yes. That way madness and violence lies. That's exactly where I'm approaching this from as well. I don't think I could ever be trusted to talk about X-Men, not in a professional capacity, either as a writer or, or yeah, as a, a podcaster. Like Most of my favorite podcasts are X-Men podcasts, and I don't trust myself to be able to be a good enough fan to not care. <laughs> you don't trust yourself to not 
cause an incident. Exactly, exactly. I would, I would cause an eight-hour Adam X rant. Uh, I'm certain, but in this case, because we like, we like Star Trek, as we've said, it's maybe in our top ten things. Like I, I've not ranked things, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's up, you know, it's up there. Yeah, yeah. Like I prefer coffee. Coffee's good. I like the Legion of Superheroes. You know, I'm a I'm the lost defender. I think I'm the only one left. So, so yeah. And and I gather you're a fan of of things as well that aren't Star Trek. It's you know, it's up there. You know, it's up there. Like in my top ten, it's like it's um, it, it's under it's underneath um, you know, my my faith that capitalism will will never to be collapse. And um, Ooh, that's a good it's one. Just, it's just inching out over, uh, like, I don't know, the tick. Okay, okay. So so I think that's a good kind of, a good way of gauging our level of enthusiasm about Star Trek. And because yeah. of this, as it's far from our first fandom, I feel this makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task as this, this list that we will carve out of stone. If I believe that any opinion of art could be truly objective, then clearly we are the most least objective people to talk about Trek. If we yeah. got into a discussion with Ayn Rand on Star Trek, she would hate us for how unobjective our objectivity would be. <laughs> exactly. God, long may she burn in hell. Come back next week for my who would win Margaret Thatcher versus Ayn Rand. Oh, God. God, really? You're Versus Godzilla. <laughs> okay, okay, good. <laughs> I'm back in. Anyway, back to the point. And I'll apologise in advance for the many diversions. I meant to bring a sand timer to make sure that we limited the amount of time that they are. But without further ado, as our mission here is to... Rank... Also, oh. we are British, so we are the best people to talk about the most American sci-fi franchise. Is it the most American sci-fi franchise? <sighs> like, it's Wagon Train in Space, but I'm sure there's... No, you're right. Star Stargate, ex Stargate exists, and that's, yeah, basic, yeah. and that's basically American policy in space Middle East. Yeah, basically that. So, yeah. No. Okay, Stargate's okay. got it beat. That's all right. I'm not... If we're looking at the ranking of Star Trek versus other things, Stargate is vastly down under Star Trek, in my opinion. I forget Stargate exists, but I do remember that Lost exists. Yes. Because I watched it. Yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> and I won't even apologize <laughs> on behalf of Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse for that. Anyway, back to the point. This episode is going to cover three different pilot episodes of Star Trek. We figured what we're going to do is each of our episodes is going to have a theme. Uh, so it might be an episode on Klingons, an episode on Mirror Universe shenanigans, in which case I will just lose my mind as I do not care for the Mirror Universe. But And I will wear a fake goatee, which you won't see because it's a completely audible medium. Yes, yeah, it's good because I'd have to shave my goatee uh, just to provide contrast, and I'd really rather not do that. People don't need to see my entire face. So yeah, given most episodes will have a theme, and this is our pilot of our show, 
what better theme than pilots? So we're doing the first three Star Trek pilots today, and we'll do the next three next episode. So we've got a lot of watching that we've done and a lot still ahead. And yeah, we'll see which episodes have aged better than others. Okay, so our first episode will be the Star Trek pilots titled The Cage. Yeah, we had a little bit of a back and forth about what Star Trek original pilot to do. Yeah. This is the original original pilot. This is the very first pilot for Star Trek, not the first episode broadcast, which I think was the man trap. And then yeah. the, the actual second pilot, which is where no man has gone before. But no, this is this is the original. The one apparently too cerebral for American viewers. Oh. I am emphasizing little bunny rabbit ears as I say this. Has such a cruel statement been said about Americans before? I live with them, I, I have partied with them, I pay taxes to them, yet they won't let me vote with them. They're fine. They're not bad. They're all right. They're all right. It's yeah. okay. Like Star Trek. Star really. Trek. <laughs> oh, my, oh my god, like, our, our first episode of Views is going to be, this guy hates Americans. <laughs> wow. So, The Cage, um, what's it about? What is, is there a cage in it? There is a cage, but the cage there is a there's a physical cage, and then there's the cage of the human mind. Space, the final frontier. Maybe. Who knows? We start with a space field and we start off with Star Trek in nice big block letters. And no exciting narration. So what is this ship? Who are these people? Will we care about any of them? Yeah, well, okay, we'll care about Spock soon, but like everyone else, we're gonna have to marinate on it for like forty years. So, on the United Starship Enterprise, the crew, led by all these complete strangers, receives a message from the Telostar Cluster. But our hero, Captain Pike, he's not really feeling it right now. He's like, he's he's grumpy. He's kind of feeling that I'm that Danny Glover, I'm too old for this shit going on. Especially that there's <gasps> two women oh, on shocking. the ship now. Shock, we've got super intelligent number one, and we have... Um, Slightly attractive, but worryingly named Yeoman Colt, spelt like the horse. So I didn't get a name for her. In fact, I didn't have any names for anyone aside from Pike, number one, Spock. I've got blonde guy, other guy, doctor, and the rookie. There's, um, there's the blonde guy, no, there's the doctor, and a blonde guy who was called Kelso. And you've got, like, Kelso's two mates. Okay. Or like, you know, Kel you know, Kelso's um pan couple. Wow, okay. Well, Roddenberry yeah. was a progressive guy. Yeah, for the most in, part. In some so, way. you know, in some way. So Pike, you know, goes to go to his ready room to have a drink with his doctor, and recently the Enterprise had an exciting adventure on the planet Rigel 4, where they got their ass kicked by some monsters. And you actually I, I kind of appreciated this. Like, all the characters are seen with injuries, which they picked up on his earlier miss, and, like, Spock sometimes walks with a limp. And, like, Kelso has, like, an arm brace. So it's, like, in, in the time of, like, early 60s TV, when continuity was, like, not a thing outside of soap operas, that's a nice little, a realistic touch that Trek, with its magic reset button, will never really kind of have until 
uh, the current era of Star Trek. I mean, DS9 has bits, but... DS9 has bits, but, like, you know, any kind of, like, injury or, like, any kind of bad knot they get is usually forgotten, unless it's, like, important to the plot. Of course. So, yeah, drinking with the Doctor, which we've all done, right? Um, not when a Doctor's on duty. Huh, okay, sorry, yeah, mine, mine lectures me about uh, units of alcohol and um, how it's all a sham. You see, um, you forget, I have to deal with the American healthcare system, oh. so whenever I have to drink for my doctor, it's a drink to forget. Oh, dear. Or because I've just been sent the bill. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be such a good service, actually. You know, here's <laughs> the bill and a shot. Here's your, here's your bill, and here's some Everclear for you. Here's some grain alcohol. Um, So... Pike talks about wanting to retire, and like maybe just go home and raise horses. And the doc's like, "Hey, we got we should we should help these guys." So Pike's like, "I'm convinced. I've had two pints. This is this is some good thinking from my part." So they he goes back to bridge and go, "Okay, time warp." And Spock shouts, "Time warp!" Spock is very shouty in the pilot. Sorry, he's time oddly warp. shouty. Yeah, they don't call it. They don't call it like. Warp drive, they call I believe they, they call it like time warp. Time warp factor seven. Time warp factor seven. You get a nice little, what would be like a 60s Doctor Who special effect where they just kind of stand still and just superimpose a whizzing star field to oh, show I us warp speed. It's, it feels like it's a journey of the mind as well as through space. That everyone has to stand still or else it's not going to work or look, mm. or look wanky on the video. So. They reach Telos 4, and they beam down using the... As a Doctor Who fan, I have to really... And a Blake 7 fan, I have to be really remembering not to use the word teleport, which is what they say in no-shows or transmat. So transport. They use the transporter. They use the fancy matter transmitter to beam down to, like, a really nice set. It's... Yeah, it's... It's all right. I watched a lot of early Lost in Space, and it gave me entirely those vibes, just, you know, in colour. So, for me, it was a step up. It's 30 feet, which is 25 more feet than uh, Doctor Who ever had to deal with in the same amount of time. And they find the shipwreck survivors, who are all old scientists and one young, attractive woman. Where I'm from, that's called a cult. Mm. Yeah, it's best not analysed too far at that point. No, like, that's, you know, there, there are those people who hang around Whitehawk that we don't talk about. Oh, dear. Mm. But so, like, you know, they have the young, attractive woman who's called Vina, and of course, because Pike is a rugged, square-jawed, individualist starship captain, he's like, I fancy my chances. I'm having that one. But what he doesn't know is that they're being watched. They're being watched by mysterious aliens with mysterious heads. Okay, so these heads. Because I, I have specific notes on these, and... <laughs> I saw someone else talking about them online a little while ago, and their comparison contradicts mine. So, as a neutral party here, I've written <laughs> down, these are bollock-headed aliens. And I've seen online people compare them to butts, mainly because of the kind of cleft at the back of the head. Which, which do you reckon they're most like? They look most like bollocks. But honestly, if either a butt or a bollock has a twitching vein that prominent, you might know, need to go see a doctor. And prepare for the grain alcohol. 
and, and prepare for the grain alcohol. So yeah, um, Vina wants to show Pike something really interesting over here. But before Pike could say, grab your coat, love, I've pulled, um, the bollock-headed aliens turn up, knock him out, and they capture him and put him in a conveniently disguised lift, disguised as a bit of soundstage. I love those kind of soundstage things. Just watch for slight wobble from all of the rocks. I miss when science fiction TV looked crap. Yeah. I, I miss when I, I you know, like, okay, I, I, I love that we can build like really impressive stages, like shoot in really cool locations. Sometimes just give me a couple of bits of carved balsa wood painted purple and tell me it's an alien planet. I'm done. I'm sold. So, yeah. They're, they're taken down in the lift. Pray tell, what happens next, Miles? Well, then, Pike wakes up in the titular cage, which <sighs> um, is three stone walls and a bit of... Uh, po- and a, no, not polystyrene. Perspex? Oh, God, that'd be horrible. A, ca- a perspex, yeah. A cage made of yeah. polystyrene would be the worst. That'd be like my own personal hell. Uh. You can tell it's perspex because it makes a nice bouncy sound whenever, whenever Pike tries to hammer himself off it. You know, hammer himself off, that sounds naughty. Um, asked the bollock-headed aliens of Telos 4, who want him to do a lot of hammering off, considering what they want the humans for. You see, Telos 4 are a race of people who are so mentally advanced, they don't know how to open pickle jars. Wow. And so what they're going to do is that they're, gonna, they're, they're trying to find a, a breedable enough race to basically cr- create them for themselves a race of pickle jar openers so that so that they never have to worry about not having Branson pickles on their sandwiches again. I also noticed that in this quest, they appear to have captured Alf, or at least Alf's kind of like bigger buffer descendant. Well, clearly this is a sequel to the Alf TV show because the end of Alf, Alf, the, the show famously ends with Alf getting caught by the US government. So clearly Alf escapes, but then gets sent back in time to Star Trek. Back in time. Back in time. I realise I know very little Alf lore. <laughs> oh, the deep-seated Alf lore of... Oh, wait, hang on a second. This is... Okay, he gets sent back in time to 1960s Hollywood, where he bit, he gets like a bit part on Star Trek. Could and say. possibly The Outer Limits. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm a professional nerd. I don't make I don't make these mistakes really easily. So yeah, Pike, Vina, and Alf are all captives of the aliens who want them to breed. Um, two of them, <laughs> two of them, slightly more <laughs> than the other. Okay, H- have you been looking at my Star Trek Alf crossover slash fic again? Yes, and I'm ashamed of us both. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the ship, uh, the crew of the Enterprise are like, well, we we should do something. We should rescue our captain. And um, number one, who seems to be like the super intelligent one of the crew, which Spock will pick up that particular trait when, it's, when we go to series, you know, tell us that they have immense telepathic power. So they, they could use our, their illusions to make sure we don't know what is going on. That makes one of us. Yeah, even so, they decide a big laser is the best way to deal with anything. This is America. Big laser. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, back in the cage, the Talosians are, are, are basically just kind of going, Pike, Vina, hmm, 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 make babies, make babies, make babies. And, and Pike's just sitting there going, I, I, I like being taken out to dinner and wooed first. 
Yeah, it's a bit less sexy if you're commanded by some some nearby aliens. It's it's like the it's like the space alien version of just being at a drunken party and someone going, "You, you kiss them." That would be funny. Hmm. So yeah, I can see why he's not into it. Yeah, it's just weird. And so they use their powers of illusion to make him think he's back home on Earth, tending horses in the lush greenlands of the Mojave. I kind of liked that. Of like, yeah, it's that you know, far in the future, you got your distant vistas. Even though it is obviously a set pretending to be nineteen sixties America, they've quickly snuck onto like the set for Little House in the Prairie and just quickly filmed it. Yeah. And it looks it looks better than the Mojave does in Fallout New Vegas. True. But like Pike is like, this is an illusion. It's a nice illusion. Don't like it. So the aliens go, okay then, let's go for the sexy one. And so he is and now he is sent to the planet of Gore. That's yep, yeah, I, I may have just made a, a Gore reference in our Star Trek podcast. Um for sure. Well, okay, thank you all for coming. Bye. Thank you all for coming. Bye now. Yeah, it was nice. And it was <laughs> nice where it <laughs> almost lasted. An episode. And um <laughs> almost an episode. And there we have Vina. And she's green and she's dancing. And and we'll see this. We'll see this one particular image because they're gonna show it on the on the closing credits for the next three years of the show. Oh, I thought this was a memory rather than a, a specific construct, because he was talking about doing like Ryan. He, he's stuff. talking about yeah, so like I'm assuming that they're just basically kind of doing like giving him a fantasy. Yeah, but they've done. They've they've given him like a memory of home, and that this is like a fantasy of what you could want. Hashtag, please make babies for us. Again, cheapened it there, but um, yeah. Yep. Unfortunately, without the ability to remove his memory of the fact that he's actually in a a kind of perspex cage, being observed worryingly closely, mm. it just doesn't do it for him. Yeah. It might, Alf might actually be kind of into it. Well, yeah, and I'm sure there's someone in the Federation who also would be, and if only they were on this mission. I mean, Riker won't be born for a while. No, it, this entire episode would be much different if, like, it was the horny ship, and like the entire crew is like, "Yeah, sure, why not? Good idea. This is a great plan. There's nothing wrong with this plan." So, the, the aliens have a bit of an impasse because, like, Pike seems to like Vina. But like he's he he's all in on Vina. He's not in on the staying on the planet and raising babies part of it. So they have another plan. When Starfleet plans to uh, beam down a another search party, this time with number one and Yemen Colt, they kidnap Yemen Colt and number one, leaving Spock to shout out the women as if he's about to kind of you know with a nice little uh, jazz hands as long as, as if he's about to break into a um. A rendition of tradition from Fiddler on the Roof. Oh dear, yeah, it feels like the aliens have decided to stop going for a one-on-one kind of situation and start going into either a reality show contest or a bad sitcom plot. <laughs> this is this is every other fifties pulp magazine cover. Like this is this is like this is like the fifth. This is what 62, 61... I had it written down somewhere. 66. 66. So, like, yep, sex has just been invented by the 60s culture, but we're still in that kind of skeezy men's own era of of, gen- of uh, politics gender. Of course. The shirtless man being attacked by a crab 
and being like trying to save at least one or two women or being attacked also by said women as well as fighting off the crab you, well yeah you've always got to fight yeah. off the giant crab you always got to fight off the giant crabs so then the the Telosians say right okay um vena's not working so we have some other choices for you we have the super intelligent ice woman who actually might start to think you're available and then you've got like the young one who, who was just hot for you anyway and number one immediately goes yeah not down for this pulls out her gun and immediately starts setting it to self-destruct <laughs> which i've had worse dates uh i i i want i once had a date when i was like 19 where they got drunk the night before and ended up on train on a train to sheffield a good sign of a date there Good sign of a date there. So like, I'll take that over the immediately pulling out, basically the, the date equivalent of pulling out a hand grenade. Yeah, I've probably had dates around that bad. I don't know. It's it's a difficult one there. Um, but yeah, well done, number one, for, for figuring that. Being the one competent member of the crew. Yeah. I mean, the Yeomans feels very much in that position of well whatever happens on on like talos as whatever happens on talos. in talos stays on talos yeah and the the talosians meanwhile while the one talosian has been basically trying to get his own personal sex show um the other talosians have been doing the reading and realize oh wait no matter how luxurious we can make their lives humans do not do well in captivity so even if we could breed a slave race, they'd be really sucky at it because they would want freedom. What a horrible, re- what a horrible resolution! Yeah, God, who knew humans hate being put in cages? God, what a shock! <laughs> well, I'm glad we fixed this. <laughs> Although, yeah, did they fix it? I don't know. So, like the Talusians go, well, you know what? We're just gonna let you go and wait for the next bunch of horny idiots to turn up, and. That is when we find out that Vina can't go back or won't go back because she was the only survivor of the... There was a crashed ship, but she was the only survivor. And that the Talusians found her and they had to repair her. But they had no idea what a human looked like. Like, when you get a piece of furniture and the instructions aren't there, it's just hell. I I know what they've been through. Like, you know, humans are not flat-packed IKEA furniture. And so we, they they lift the illusion. It turns out that Vina is. I have no idea how to say this without sounding really offensive. She's she's just. They put her back wrong. They put her back wrong. Yeah. And and thus she doesn't want to go back because um she's not generically attractive by the standards of nineteen sixties white America. So. She'd rather stay with the illusions, thank you very much. And and so the Talusians go, okay, we'll restore to you your illusion of beauty, but also we'll give you an illusionary pike to play with to just kind of while away the rest of your lives. And this is where the story goes. This is where I started screaming. Mm. Uh, like, yes, it's the 19- yes, it's the 1960s. Yes, it was quite literally another a different time. But the fact that the show is playing this very kind of romantic harp music as uh, Vina, you know, 
just completely indulges in the phony illusion of the illusionary Pike, and Pike is okay with this. Yeah. Like this, this is where Pike's is looking at the situation and going, yeah, this is fine. Like, I, I can't help but think back to things like the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits, where that would be the horrifying twist at the end of the episode. Well, but it's it's reinvigorated him for being a captain, you know? Yep. Oh, we we did forget to mention um, he has a flashback to tell us for where it turns out the evil alien monster is basically a stage Viking who's about to sing about spam. A Rigel sequence, yes. Yeah, oh. it was it was Planet Renfair. Planet Renfair. incredible. I, I miss there being, like, magicians and knights and all that <laughs> wacky bullshit. I really hope that Strange New Worlds will bring us at least one planet that has decided, I've seen some photos of Earth Renfairs. That's what we're about now. That's it. There is an episode of Lower Decks where we find out the chief engineer is from basically from a Renfair planet. Yes, that was fantastic. But he didn't want in. He wanted to be an engineer, so he skipped town. But but now Pike, he's okay with it. He's okay with being a spaceship captain because, um, you know, when someone's put you in a cage and basically said, now fuck, it makes you put your entire life in perspective. Yeah, and apparently more encounters that could end up like this, or frankly, anything else. Yep. It's a, a big old galaxy. Yeah. There's a big old galaxy out there. But of course, the, the yeoman is only interested in one one thing. Which one would he have picked? Yeah, that's that's awkward. <laughs> that that's That's awkward. That's an HR type situation. Starfleet doesn't have HR, or else uh, McCoy would have been written up for racism long ago. True, true. Racist anti-Vulcan jokes in the workplace. And now we have the cage. Too horny for TV. Way too horny. Um, but in a 60s way. So, what did you think of the cage? Um, I... Okay, apart from the fact that I find the end horrifying... It's a lot of fun. Mm. Like it, it doesn't like it does what I think any kind of good pilot should really do, and just kind of give you like a taste of what you're gonna get, and, and just trying to establish. You know, it's not trying to establish any of the characters. Like you know, you have like Pike is your basic swaggering kind of space hero. Like he's he's like a more fed up Dan Dare, and yeah, like it does. It you know it does very little character work. It shows you like this is the kind of thing we're gonna we're gonna do. This is the kind of thing you should expect. This is the episode format. You know, there's like no kind of real need for world building or like in depth character study. It's just hey, adventures in space, cool, huh? Yeah, and it it mostly accomplishes that. I feel yeah. Just at the start of lockdown, I think it was I showed. Uh, the prisoner to uh, my partner <laughs> and my lodger, and I loved it. I've always been a prisoner oh, yeah. fan, but the the sets and the the feeling of it—it's like I'm not one of these. Oh yes, it was only good in the long ago times, but there is a charm there, and I I felt that sort of vibe. You know, I said I watched Lost in Space. It's not great, apart from my personal hero, Doctor Zachary Smith. But um, aside from him, 
it's not a great show. But again, there's no. something quite nice about the look and the feel of it all. So there's there's always this nice charm. It has a mm. it has a charm which you know, like it it looks impressive. Like it looks really impressive. Like it doesn't have it doesn't have like what the Twilight Zone has going for it, which is like fantastic, like some of the best writing or what the Outer Limits had, which was really good black and white cinematography and like people who knew how to make cheap look good. Yeah. And, and this is very much like, this is brightly colored. This is like big and splashy. Like it's, it, it is a pulp cover come to life. Yeah. Like, I know with comics, there's that point where DC was the only one really doing much superhero-wise, and it was all very wooden and very static, and suddenly Fantastic Four appears, and you've got that Jack Kirby cover, that explosion, you've got colour, you've got it's... bombast, and this feels like that to those shows. This this is what this is basically in a kind of bit more restrained form. This is how the 60s are going to look for TV yeah. from then on. And, I mean, I know I'm going to get immunized for this, like, soon, if we watch more of the originals. I mean, like, Batman's coming out, like, either has come out or is coming out soon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's that brightly coloured renaissance. You know, we've got colour television now. Isn't this exciting? We, we've got colour. We haven't reached... We haven't reached a camp 60s yet. Or like the the very bleak kind of late like mid to late sixties of Vietnam, so we we still have the kind of the hippie movement is there, but we don't like to talk about the hippie movement. Yes, yeah. So the good news is, as we have to in the infernal pact we have made with one another, judge every episode of Star Trek for its worthiness against every other episode. This is currently, and I feel this optimism, this kind of enjoyment of it, despite its goofiness, means <laughs> that we we can confidently place this as our number one Star Trek episode. Right now, this is the best episode of Star Trek. It is also the worst episode of Star Trek. <laughs> but um, I'm sure it will get replaced as one of those soon enough. Especially because next up we've got a an interesting one. Um, oh wait, no, sorry, emissaries after the next one. The next one is not interesting. Um, just like just to kind of put this in musical context, um, the song that was number one when this was being made was "Downtown" by Petula Clark. So that's the cage. And now. From gin and boardrooms to cocaine and beige. <laughs> and some wood panelling. And some wood panelling, but it's it's the eighties. We're now in the we're now in the eighties. Nineteen eighty seven. Reagan and Thatcher, good times for all. But in the far future, further than the cage, we have the Starship Enterprise D and Captain Jean Luc Picard, who is our most English speaking French person, and he and his crew are on a mission. A mission for ratings, but also a mission to Farpoint, which is um, this space station, which is which is trying to get into the Federation. And immediately... Do you know what the mission is? And this isn't the mission set by any cosmic entities. The mission from the Federation. It's solve the mystery of Farpoint Station. 
They are a bad DM. <laughs> this is this wouldn't be how you would do it. I mean, yeah, but I, I, <laughs> I was about to say I'm a bad DM. No, I'm a good GM. It's fine. Um, it's definitely something I have done and something I shouldn't do. So what you were saying is that the crew of the Enterprise should have met in a bar and then had a fight break out. I mean, there will be some of that, at least for Picard later on. I'm sure there are some Starfleet captains who have probably just, like, gone into a pub, started a fight, and then just picked, like, six most capable people in that fight to be his crew. Yeah, I mean, that must have been the hiring process in the original series. Yeah, probably. And so they're going to solve the mystery of Firepoint Station, and... It, is it too early to, for me to admit that I have issues with Encounter at Firepoint? Really? You have issues with Encounter at Firepoint? <laughs> I, I I have issues because watching this is um what I feel a Star Trek script would look like if it were written by famed horror writer, dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor, Garth Marenghi. And as Garth Marenghi once famously said, I know other writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. And this is definitely the um, yeah. <laughs> this is this is the driving ethos behind the writing of this episode. Definitely, it's it's incredible to see something so Merengian. So they're flying through space, and then they get attacked by a big a big ball. It's a big ball in space. My first instinct was to say like a cage, but no, that was that no was the previous no. one. It's a giant hamster ball in space. And we have Picard, and also we have Data. He is an android. He doesn't. He wants to be the human, but he doesn't get how human work. Yeah, it's kind of that. What if Spock didn't want to be Spock? So like yeah. Leonard Nimoy for a time. And then we have uh, Security Chief Tasha Yar, oh, who <laughs> basically basically exists to be tough. And to also be a woman who is tough because, you know, we're in the 80s. Alien and Aliens has just happened. And um, then we have Worf, who is a Klingon. He won't do much here for a while. No, no. no. To be honest, Tasha didn't do a huge amount in this one. But Worf, he does even less. Well, I think actually he was like, I did some basic minimum research. And that he is a late addition like, they decided very late into pre-production, like, hey, we should have a Klingon officer on the bridge to show how how time has passed, and that the Klingons, who were enemies in the in the old show, are now our allies now. Yeah, it's, it's a neat idea. It's, it's a neat idea. And they get caught by the giant space hamster ball. And then we have Q turn up, and his many, many costume changes. Oh, he loves a costume change. I had as my first one on the list here a classical fop. Almost. I, I'm guessing there are actual you know, it's not just whatever was left in the costume department. I, I think he's meant to be kinda of like a like a a Columbus kind of uh mm. a, a privateer. Yeah. Yeah, some kind of captain of the past. Yeah. And and then he's like a a, a US military guy. Yep. And, and you know, tell it, tell him to go back and fight the commies. Oh God, yes, yeah. Do we get, do we get his weird like sleeping bag soldier outfit at this point? We doing a, we doing a little bit. Okay. Q turns up and Picard says, "Go away." And Q says, "Shan't you go away?" And 
that's what for next seven years. That's next seven years, and he's telling uh, Picard and the Enterprise, "Humans suck. Go home." And Picard's like, "Nuh-uh. Humans rule." Because despite all the bad things we've have done in our past, we've turned out okay. And Q basically says, "Picks or it didn't happen." Well, yeah, even worse, he takes them into a kind of weird trial, like a, a sham courtroom, which looks I. I don't know, it's what, mid-21st century. But frankly, if this was the next season of the Jeremy Carl show, I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> it takes us to the dark the dark post-atomic um, age of the mid-21st century, where soldiers were kept loyal through drugs. Just say no, kids. Never heard of that happening before. And, you know, and Picard, Picard is forced to defend humanity, and Picard goes... No, I can't do that. I can't defend who we were. Try us. Let us show that we are awesome. And then you will leave us alone. And Q's like, okay. Hey, guess what? Solve the mystery at Farpoint Station. And Picard's like, oh, oh that, 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 that's good. It means I don't have to, you know, don't have to uh, do some work on my, on my to-do list. Point one, solve the mystery at Farpoint Station. Point two, solve the mystery at Farpoint Station. Step three, take Dog to Vet. So, again, it is that bad GM thing of, like, okay, the players, maybe they weren't going to solve the mystery <laughs> of Farpoint Station enough. They were just faffing around. Now, God has come down and said, you really, really need to follow the plot hook, guys. I'm get, getting... get on with it. Yeah, I've got, we've got get a four-hour session booked, and we're two hours through it already. Look, I've, I've got my notes. Yeah, yeah, and... I don't know if this was just me, but growing up, when I was first getting into Star Trek, the only Q action figures and the trading cards that I saw were him in this weird judged outfit. And does he appear in it ever again? No, which is a shame because I, I, I feel like that would be more distinctive than they stick him in, like, the onesie. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're at least given their plot hook and sent on the way. And so they do something which, you know, it's always interesting when you watch pilots for TV shows because you get to kind of see what they want to kind of promote or do more. And then as time goes, you just see like those, the various kind of bits get shipped away and they make a big deal out of separating the, the bridge and the saucer, the, the source section and the, and the battle bridge. And you, you can tell that they're going to great lengths to say this will be a, this will be something we will do a lot of. Oh, they love it. They love it, but they're not going to do a lot of it. It's fascinating to see, like, one alternate universe, it's all they're about. And, like, it gives me that Thunderbirds vibe almost. It's, and of course, um, the, the one thing is um, when they go to the bridge and have, like, the emergency bridge crew, uh, there's a guy with curly hair who will be important later. Cool. Exciting. And then we, we finally cut, to, we finally get to Firepoint Station ahead of the Enterprise, where, where Will Riker is here with his baby face. Oh my god, it's so jarring. I knew it was happening. I knew there's like a season of this, but he doesn't look right without the beard. No. He, it's so weird. He, he, look, he looks like Budget Shatner. Yeah. And that's probably what they're aiming for with him. Yeah. But yeah... Uh, yeah, personally, I, I like that they benched half the crew for half of the episode to get us acclimatized a bit to it all. And, and we also get to meet Geordie LaForge. Yes. 
who you know with, with his visor and we also get to meet uh dr crusher dr beverly crusher and you, you know it's the future because now we have three women on the ship oh my god and some of them are named on air <laughs> oh yes and they actually have to do stuff we forgot about troy when we we're talking about the bridge crew, we completely forgot about Troy. I mean, like, she has a bad feeling about this. Um, yep. That's it. That that was it. Um, she senses danger. Yes. I'm sure there's more to her than that. But so far in, like, I'm, I'm sure that I think there was more to her than that in this episode even. But the first half of the pilot really doesn't do much to, to convince you otherwise. No. And then they also have... Uh... Wesley Crusher, yeah, who is everyone's favorite character. Yeah, yeah, of course. For for POV for the kids because they really love yep. a kid that's their like um, their age for it rather than the cool people. <laughs> Look, take it from me, from Doctor Who. If you need an audience viewpoint character, give him a kid with like a silly bowl cut hairdo who's really good at maths and um that'll that will always go well in your science fiction show wow okay okay i'm pleased this wasn't a unique circumstance here it's something that was tested yep you know like unfortunately not all of them can be will robinson no oh and on the station one of the one of those names i had to pause and check and go did i hear that right the man running the show here on Farpoint called Grappler Zorn. Grappler, Grappler Zorn. Uh, if he was Grappler Zorn, that would be an NPC I'd have in a role-playing game. No, no, no. See, Grappler Zorn sounds like like your 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 bass guitarist for like a hair metal band. Hell yeah! Like it, it like you know, kind of like I don't know, like a, an eighties hair metal. Like you know, they all have like space characters, and you have like on on bass guitar. Grappler's on. <laughs> oh god, I'm going to have to make an NPC called Grappler's on now. Grappler's on. I'm so sorry to my role playing group if any of you have dared listen to it. You're you're never sorry. No. And the Enterprise arrives, and everyone beams on board, and we then get quintessentially good TV when one of your cast is made to watch the video of the last forty five minutes of the episode. And Picard seems so mad. At, at that point is very much like um i don't know why he's quite pissy at Riker, but it's that kind of right you're late watch the first episode and i'm going into my room watch the first as punishment you're gonna have to re you're gonna have to watch the last 45 minutes of my life and then i'm gonna make you parallel park with the rest of the ship yeah yeah it's a good test yeah as you do mm. now he's ready for anything it's like, I know when I turned up my first day at work at um, an international coffee chain, which I won't mention, um, I walked I, I, I walked into work and uh, my, my boss gruffly said to me, make this espresso machine parallel park with the rest of the cafe. And um, you've, you've never really driven until you've had to make an espresso machine do a three-point turn. Wow. Well, um, I hope they're doing well without you. Um... And yeah, long may they unionize. Long may they unionize. And so Picard, you know, Riker watches the episode and um, walks in and he goes, wow, that was unsubtly written. And Picard goes, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like we had both DC Fontana and Gene Roddenberry both writing bits of this 
as as Garth Marenghi-ish as possible, but sometimes at cross purposes and evidently without talking to each other. And and so Picard goes right. Will I am on? Tr- I am representing humanity on this trial to prove our worth as a species. You do all the hard work. Yeah, and please don't let me speak to a child. Otherwise, we will fail the test. And Riker goes, okay, will do. Oh, they, they, they make a big thing about, like, Riker daring to stand up to his, pre, like, his captains. Like, this is the other really, the wonderful thing I love, the wonderful bit of Garth Marenghi-esque writing, that when characters have character moments, they don't, like, have a moment which allows them to, like, express their characterization in a well-written way. Um, it's basically them uh, saying their character bio out loud. So yeah. I, lo- I lost count of the amount of times Tashia says in this episode, as head of security, I suggest. I'm trying to remember now. I'm hoping that she doesn't say as head of security and a woman. But again, <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past Roddenberry <laughs> to have had that put in. No. S- speaking as a woman, I believe we should kick their butts. So yeah, it's all been a nice introduction. Like we get a bit from Jordi LaForge, mainly that his visor is needed and gives him constant pain. Again, something which will never turn up. No. I don't think like the idea that Jordi's visor hurts ever turns up again in the show. I don't think so. But now I'm going to have to watch every episode in the knowledge that that is the case. Yep, and like every every time we're watching it, he's having the worst ice cream headache ever. Before they get going to the important trial of humanity, they have to. There was an. It turns out there is an admiral on board, a very old admiral who is very southern, oh. and likes to say the word "boy" a lot. Yeah, I meant to look up what DeForest Kelly looked at at the time because I'm hoping he's made up like crazy there. Because this is like when I think this is between like Star Trek Five. Mm. So he looks relatively good for his age at the time. And not how he looks here, which is um, a Dick Tracy villain. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, so Star Trek VI is four years after this in 1991. So, yeah, he, yeah, good, good, good for him. I know, you know, the late DeForest Kelly, but I was watching it going, that has to be makeup. Otherwise, he had some kind of degenerative thing. Uh, that was just make him slough off his skin and wrinkle up and it's but yeah he has a nice little chat with data uh very much crowbarring in data you're the spock of this just in case we didn't get it so far even mccoy isn't free from the next gen problem of you know it's not we have dialogue is that the characters talk in declarative statements yes yeah it's like a bad idea of what claremontian writing's like God, can you imagine if, if, um, if the next-gen comic was written by Chris Claremont? Oh, be still my heart. Like, even terrible 2000s Claremont, I would take that. Oh, there is actually a Claremont-written Star Trek graphic novel. <gasps> oh my god. I'm, I'm resisting running to, to my comic shop now. I think it's called Debt of Honor, and it does have a spunky Claremontian female. Yes! Okay, we love a Claremontian dame. Okay, uh, how many other Claremont tropes does it have? I'm sorry, I'm setting the egg timer on myself. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a digression egg timer because I know what Miles is like and I know what I'm like. So, um, okay, let's see. It has, um, 
It has a spunky female character who kind of takes over the plot. It has a woman who could quite clearly be a dominatrix. Kirk agonizes about poor life choices, more so than usual. Huh. Um, Spock gets brain... No, 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 he doesn't. Um, let's see. Sp- uh, McCoy gets mind... No, no, that doesn't happen. Um... I can only think of like the those basics right now. Um, at some no, at some point, the spunky female officer gets into a fight with a Klingon, knocks them out, and promptly nicks their clothes. Like no. I know Wolverine's done once or twice. Amazing! I'm definitely going to have to look that up, and I will feel ashamed while reading the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> so far, point, huh? The far point. It looks like a um. It looks like a Western frontier town in space. Wow, it's yeah, it, it's it's always wonderful when you see like very Western American tropes because like, I can just imagine like if the British did this, it would just be like a couple of pubs. Like that's your your frontier space town in space is basically a corner shop and a pub. Oh God, why didn't I? I mean, yes, yeah, that is a hundred percent true. But also, if this is trying to be a Western town, why wasn't there a saloon or space saloon? I guess. Well, it's it's the future. They have a mall. That the like Farpoint oh. Station, like the big marketplace, is essentially like a giant eighties mall. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the eighties. This, this is it. Welcome now. to, welcome to the like. Since since I live in America, I get to see these malls, but it's like twenty twenty two, so they're all in rapid decline. Cool. Well, good news because it's gonna get good that news. way with Farpoint. Uh, also, this is a mall that can somehow change things into other things that you might want it's a magic mall oh it's so special um apart from when Groplazorn starts yelling at it clearly the mall wants to unionize oh, i really should um but Groplazorn is very much against such things Groplazorn's into union busting so our way mission which is Riker, data tashia troy and jordy beam down deep beneath the station to see what's going on and we end up in a really nice kind of uh cave set which is which looks like something we can't say because i'll spoil the plot yeah i think you and i possibly got the same vibes from this set but it's it's like the very alien hmm yeah yeah um definitely like a mall and Groplazorn did not make these tunnels but meanwhile another ship is approaching (gasps) and God, the cage is so much easier to synopsize because stuff happens in the cage. I mean, the good news is for us and the audience that we're getting through this a lot faster. So, yeah, I heard Gene Roddenberry didn't want UFOs or space rockets, and somehow, no, it's a UFO. Like it's it's just a UFO when we first see it. No, yeah, yeah, and you don't, you don't really get the UFO design any like in other. Tr- it's like that. That's it. I think that's mm. the one use of a UFO in Star Trek. Yeah, I guess, you know, if anyone's going to do it, Gene may as well rip the plaster off and do it himself. Gene Roddenberry's going to do it, and then he's going to hump it. I mean, yeah, again, you're skipping ahead slightly here. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Picard is just, like, having a cup of tea. Like, Picard's just like, well, thank God I'm good at micromanaging. And then Q turns up to go, oh, by the way, you've got, like, two hours left. And because, like, well, I will micromanage some more, and he he gets the crew to pick up the pace. Meanwhile, Troy's spider sense is tingling. This is where it's not quite as bad as we're in trouble, and then she like the ship gets hit. This is 
I can actually feel more specific yeah. emotions. They're vague, but they're still more than you could tell by waiting five seconds until there's an impact. Yeah, and then the UFO attacks. But it doesn't st- It doesn't attack the fancy Sky Mall. It starts attacking the frontier town. And the crew promptly scatter, except for Data and Riker, who have to get Grappler Zorn before he escapes through his jam session. And they arrive just in time to see Grappler Zorn kidnapped by Pink Energy. Oh, I hate when that happens. Yeah, it, it happens every Thursday. They've they been back to the ship. And then Q is that really smart guy who asks you a riddle and goes, do you know what it is yet? Do you know what it is yet? Do you know what it is yet? Like, you know. We, we've not got time to think about the riddle while you keep asking us about the riddle. Um, and that's pretty much the state the Enterprise is in. It's like, do you know who could have actually played Q based on this kind of energy? They could have gotten, like, Crystal May's era, Richard O'Brien. Yes. To play Q. Because what he'd be doing is while Picard is trying to solve, like, the, the riddle, Q would just be there just playing harmonica in the background while Picard is trying to get the crystal. Yeah, he'd be prancing about a bit, chattering to himself about all kinds of things. Like again, like like me when I'm running a game and no one's told me to stop. Q would definitely have a mumsy. Oh god. I, I, I dread to think what the Eldritch cosmic mumsy would be. Dame Edna Everidge. Perfect. Actually actually no, wait, no, no, no. I know I know who would be the intergalactic cosmic mumsy. Okay. It would be Joanna Lumley as she is an ab fab. It would explain a lot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is why space is like it is. Meanwhile, Wesley Crusher is begging his mum to see the bridge. Meanwhile, Beverly Crusher, who is the ship's doctor, has some angst with Picard because Picard brought home her husband. I guess Picard was on a mission with Wesley's father and he died in the line of duty. And but just the way he says it, it just sounds like Picard just turned up on their doorstep with a dead body and went, There you go, dropped it and then left. I mean it's left mysterious enough so far that that could be entirely what happened. You know, yeah. he drew the short straw, go on, offload the body. You're on body detail this week. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is that your Picard? <laughs> That's my season one Picard. This is my gruff you know, th- this is I. I swear you can freeze frame it when you have a close up of Patrick Stewart's face while they're while they're filming this, and you can you can almost see a man just watching his career fade away in real time whenever he's shooting a scene. Yes, yeah, it takes him a while to warm up to it. It, it takes a while to warm up and become like the the Patrick Stewart of today, who we all love. Yes, yeah. I mean, the Wesley thing. It's a almost entertaining diversion. Like, not quite, but almost. Knowing Picard's awkwardness, but they're still on a clock. They've still got stuff to deal with. I think with this, like, they're trying to cram in all the character, all the Mm. characterization apart from Worf, which is kind of getting in the way of telling the story. And much like we are with the the digressions, and they, they beam to the other ship, which looks exactly like the cave system they were just in. And Grappler Zorn is being uh, tortured by invisible energy. And that's when they make the realization it's not a ship. It's an alien creature. It's alive. Now, I know, obviously, we've got hindsight with this, but it was it was a bit obvious. And I'm sure they'll come up against tons of these. And the original series probably had tons of like, oh, this colony here is exploiting some kind of alien. 
oh dear, maybe we should do something about it. Because Groplazorn gave off big, I'm exploiting an alien for resources kind of vibes. Yeah, as you do, they're, they're really obvious vibes. Yes, yeah. And that farscapey hallways and corridors had a, a very organic look. Again, like yeah. maybe you're in, in the guts of something uh, that you probably shouldn't be. Of a, of a living... Yep. And meanwhile, Q's just um Q's on the bridge and they're saying, You should zap it, you should shoot. You should shoot the ship. You should blow up the ship. And Picard's like, not until we beam my guys out. But he they don't get a chance to beam him out. The ship beams him across, right to the bridge. And that's when we find out it is actually a living ship. And that's when the crew realizes, oh wait, we shouldn't be shooting the alien. We should be shooting the planet. And so they shoot the planet. Take take that take that capitalism <laughs> i don't get why people say that star trek isn't anti- anti-capitalist the first episode of next gen is basically them destroying a sweatshop slash shopping mall again subtext it's for cowards subtext is for cowards you know the only way they could um have, have made this more garth Marenghi is if they had cut back to gene roddenberry like every 10 minutes to kind of give his opinion of what just happened in the in the episode like we were robbed by not having that and they shoot away. They shoot away the ship. They they shoot away the sky mall. And that's when we find out it's also a living creature ship, which actually isn't a flying saucer. It's actually a a tentacly thing. Yeah, like a space jellyfish. A space jellyfish, and they make the tentacles touch. Should we have been seeing that, like in a a, a prime time show? Should that have been shown? Well, it was on before the watershed, so clearly we should have been. Okay. Wow. It feels both a lot more and a lot simpler than mm. the cage all in one go. It, it feels like you know, the cage has it easy because with Star Trek, you're, you know, with this, you're having to reintroduce Star Trek, but you're also having to, you're kind of constrained by what people think Star Trek is. Mm. So you're not just showing, you're not just like showing off a new show, you're showing off a new Star Trek show, which means you have to subscribe to what star trek is which is um people fundamentally boil down to people sitting in rooms going the human condition see i thought you were going to say we'd have to subscribe to a premium service for streaming shows but no that's that's strange new worlds isn't it no it's the 80s no one really cares about tv yet we, we were a few years away from twin peaks this is back when tv was possibly at its most disposable we're not as disposable as it was in the 60s but we still haven't reached a point where people are going hmm this this television is a possible goldmine for potential of storytelling. When people were were preemptively losing their shit with this, they were very much in that state of what replacing Kirk, a, a bald man replacing Kirk. What is any of this? Wait, wait, wait a second. There are multiple women. This is woke. This is the woke mind virus at work terrible it should be Majel barrett doing every woman role and ideally only one and klingons oh my god those weren't allies in canon oh god imagine if the internet was around for next generation the, the discourse uh, would have been the worst gene roddenberry hates star trek yeah he's killing his child by doing all of these things this is completely against the vision that gene roddenberry set down in that what in that wonderful show Genesis 2. So, on that dispiriting note, Encounter at Farpoint, it's not as bad as I remembered it being, but it is still bad. 
the second half isn't as bad as I remember. Yeah. The first half is Garth Marenghi's Star Trek. Yes. I mean, I'd heard the, the Q stuff was added later on. Not for yeah. filming the script. But DC Fontana did the Farpoint stuff. And then Gene Roddenberry with his love of the Enterprise meeting God and besting God somehow did one of those. And it's like... Q is entertaining, but kind of in the way. And the Farpoint stuff maybe could have filled a normal episode rather than a double one. The Farpoint stuff, like, you, I think you could probably stretch out to be a pilot. Mm. Like, you know, maybe have more moments with Grappler's on, where, like, he has a jam session. So you can have, like, Grappler's on and, like, his righteous Zornettes or something. Yeah, like a musical interlude. You know, like, like the young ones. Just just have, like, um have Madness turn up. For like fight to just play a song for five minutes. Could we also have an Alexi Cell cutaway as well? Look, every episode of Star Trek should have an Alexi Cell cutaway. Be like the weird little log lady moments in Twin Peaks. Just you know, something vaguely just just have him be the transporter chief. So every so often you just cut to Alexi Sale, transporter chief, and, and he just goes on like a, a huge rant about like Taoist Marxism and Thatcher. Perfect. Yes. No notes. That's put that in your no next notes. There contract. we go. Yeah. That's your show. So on the grand scale, better or worse than the cage? Of our list of two episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. This is the worst episode of Star Trek. It is. It is definitely the worst episode of Star Trek. I do feel it is going to take a little bit to displace, just because I'm not purposefully going to do an episode of just bottom shooters you know looking for all of the thresholds all of the star trek insurrections is we're not directly looking for like the toe jam of star trek straight away yeah like i'm fine suffering for my art but i'd rather dole it out in separate packages than have it all in one go but yep right now as it stands encounter at far point is the worst episode of star trek yeah and as i feel we've expressed deservedly so yes i I have to make a confession. Mm-hmm. As a writer, I have used subtext. What? Miles, this show is over. How how could you? <laughs> I think as a man who writes about a flying shark with robot arms, you know that I do not. Oh, no. There's clearly a lot of subtext in, uh, in, in uh, Sky Shark. Don't tell them. I'll get shunned for being a coward. You can join us in Coward's Corner. I, I'm here hanging out with, with George Orwell. It's great. Like, me, me, me and George are having a very dispirited discussion about the cage and whether or not, you know, man will be free. Oh, why couldn't George Orwell be doing this show instead of us? But, who, who, but then who, who would be his co-host? That's a good question. Aldous Huxley. It would be Aldous Huxley. George Orwell and Aldous Huxley. Perfect. Discussing Star Trek and Huxley's office tits on... um. What was it? What the hell was it? What the hell... Anyway, we should keep. We should get away from the silly diversion, and we should talk about another Star Trek show. Yes, let's shall. And this time, I'll take the reins when we talk about the emissary. So, emissary. Um, this was January nineteen ninety three. This came out. So, so Star Trek Next Generation's been back a bit. Ninety three. I would have been ten. I was. 12 at this point okay technically i was nine so you've got a star trek franchise that's confident 
you know it knows what it's doing it knows it's popular yeah and they want to do something a bit different so the emissary starts with the big hit tng season finale slash opener best of both worlds which is if i remember correctly a banger but in this case you see it not from picard's point of view not from the enterprise's point of view but just a ship it's quite surprising they actually basically open up with a previously on star trek for their star trek spin-off show like if they did that nowadays it would make the law purists wet their pants oh my god it would have made emma completely switch off for strange new worlds she was looking at me about to play it and was like do i have to know anything going ahead of time because she gave up Mm. early in season two of discovery when colba died if i remember correctly and was like i know he comes back i can't be asked with this anymore and so fair yeah but yeah but in this case you actually have more of a disaster movie kind of moment you have a ship that's being destroyed the captain's dead you've got ben cisco our protagonist who i forgot you're kind of almost gearing up for a captain v captain sort of mentality with this you've got his wife crushed under stuff you've got his command completely wrecked it's it's a disaster and then we skip ahead three years and we get a nice little fishing scene and unlike picard who again it feels like Cisco's being used as the sort of, this isn't Picard, this isn't your dad's captain or your, you know, what, six years older, older brother's captain. This is a new one. He actually gets on with his kid. This is your your Star Trek captain for the extreme 90s. And by extreme 90s, we mean loving single father. Yeah. Trying to do right by his kid. Like, he's wholesome. This is nice. Like, seeing Ben Cisco with Jake is like, I like this guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, he he is the one thing a lot of Star Trek characters aren't, in that he feels like, he feels like a human being. He doesn't feel, he doesn't feel like, he doesn't feel like a pulp hero. Yeah, He does actually feel like, he feels like a much more realistic hero than we generally get in sci-fi. Yeah, he feels lived in, you know? There's mm. definite backstory here compared to... A lot of the others in TNG where we'll get backstory as it's needed for an episode. But if we never did, no harm, no foul. No, that's fine. And they give us a very quick bit of exposition about Bajor and Deep Space Nine. And and then we get opening credits, which show us it is a cool looking space station with a frankly quite dirgy theme tune. And I'm not a fan of it. I kind of like it, but I, I have to admit to a kind of a problem I have with this. Mm. I'm a huge Babylon 5 fan, so I can't help but watch this and compare it to the pilot of Babylon 5. Miles, we are barely minutes into a recap for Emissary, and you had to do that. I had to do that. I, I won't bring it up much because I think The Gathering, which is the pilot for Babylon 5, mm. not as good as Emissary, better than Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, okay, unofficial addendum to list. Unofficial addendum. It's a little crowbar encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. So there will come a point where, like, the gathering is on the list unofficially. Yeah, exactly. So I forgot this, even though this is the pilot I saw most recently. But Deep Space Nine's a mess. Like, we enter it, bits are on fire, people are dead. The Cardassians occupied Bajor and had this station, and they, they burnt it on the way out. Is it too late to make any kind of jokes about the North after Thatcher was done with it? 
That's horrible. <laughs> I I feel like we need to have like a uh, like an like a counter on how many times one of us brings up Thatcher. Mm. Oh God. Well, the good news is she's still dead. She's still dead. And long may that be the case. But yeah, so we get this really incredibly recently abandoned station. We get Miles O'Brien. Yay! It's a guy we know from that other show. It's the guy who I thought was called Con because that's oh. all they call him in that one episode is Con. Like, Conrad, he's like he's Irish. Um, do you know what we didn't bring up uh, when oh. we were talking about encounter at Farpoint? The man dresses. Oh, the man dresses. The man dresses. Which you know what? I'll be honest. If I could buy one, which I think would be comfortable, I would wear it. Yeah, yeah. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like yeah, I'd wear one of those. Well, that's the thing. Like in with all of that universe, you've got the onesie, which it takes him a season or so to replace, and you've got the skirt, and the skirt seems the wiser choice. Yeah, um, they, they've changed the uniforms for this show. Mm. Apparently, like, that's what people wear on space stations. Yeah, there are there are some wardrobe choices here. I guess it kind of makes sense. They wanted, you know, this one kind of does feel more like industrial wear. This feels more like, it's one that you could roll your sleeves up, because I noticed they do that a lot in, like, O'Brien perpetually has his sleeves rolled up on his one. It feels like that's unlocked his power. Yeah, that's unlocked his potential. Yeah, he was the transporter guy, he was the con, he didn't really do much. Suddenly, he can roll his sleeves up and get down to business. He, he rolled his sleeves up, He then he just kind of did like a Dragon Ball Z, like, power mode unlock <laughs> so yeah like it's it's interesting seeing someone who's there mainly just to keep the lights going at this yeah. point where they're really not and cisco's having his own bit of an introduction more to like the promenade which again bits of it are on fire he's got a fun meeting with uh kira Norris, who's kind of been in charge while everything's been an in in-between state but she's not optimistic about anything lasting. Kira is a victim of the Star Trek pilot ability that people don't speak in characterization, they speak in declarative statements about their character bio. Yes. Kira is speaking like, you know, you're sitting down in, into an interview and you've been asked, what are your strengths and weaknesses as a person? Yeah. Well, I like to start fights. Okay. Yeah. And you're rubbish at them. Like, just preemptively to, to Cisco, which yeah. he's eager to prove wrong by flinging some bits of, like, wreckage around until he gets our first journey into the Mystic. Which I forgot it was this early. I don't know if it's a, not necessarily a Kai, but one of the Bajoran priest types. They're like a, a, a I I watched this with my wife, and this is the yeah. first time she's ever seen DS9. I kind of had to stop and just quickly explain the Bajoran Cardassian thing because they explain it in the show, but like it's not like the most in depth because they're building off stuff. I think they were building up in TNG, yeah. and the best way I could explain to it is I'm like, yeah, the Bajorans in terms of like Star Trek race hats. They're the religious ones. Yeah. They're the religious ones, and it's Star Trek, but it's a religion that we, we're not inherently meant to point and laugh at because it's, you know, being manipulated by, like, a computer or something. Yeah, it's one of those rare ones that doesn't have a computer behind it. And, you mm. know, when you get those, you need to cherish them. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got her doing all that and another Bajoran, like a Bajoran priest, going, "Oh, well, the prophets await you to Cisco," which I'm guessing isn't the standard greeting. No, at least, you know, at least it's not like they ask him to fill out personality test. Yeah, and it's fun watching the initial abrasiveness between Cisco and Kira. Complete with passive-aggressive set-throwing. Yes, yes. 
And yeah, we also get to see a bit of Odo, who I've been up and down on over the years. The more it's become clear that mm-hmm. he is mm-hmm. very much a cop and was completely fine with fascist rule of Deep Space Nine before it was Deep Space Nine. Yeah, sadly. See, it's like with the whole um, Judge Dredd thing. It's like, yes, Dredd is a fascist, but he's better. He's a good fascist. Unfortunately, Less we worse. can't, you know, it's still... Yeah, and that's kind of Odo, and sadly it can't really say Akao, which is all cops are Odo. So yeah, like, Odo deals with a guy with a spiked chain, which is like, yes, keep the weird medieval space from the cage to the giddy future of 1993. So could we use a phaser? Nah, that'll be cheating. I'll use the Morningstar. Hell yeah, only cowards use phasers. Morningstar or death. <laughs> so cowards only use subtext and guns, then? We're, we're getting a good definition of a coward. I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. And yeah, this is where we get our first Ferengi of all this with Nog, who I forgot he was our first one, helping out with a crime. Oh yeah, we get some angry glances from Quad, but that's pretty much it. Yes, yeah, and... I think this is one where, having seen your tweets, you and I might differ slightly. I love Quark. Like, Armin Shimmerman is a joy to watch. I do like Quark. I like the character, and he, he has performed amazingly. But with the Ferengi, there is always that kind of vaguely... There is the vaguely anti-Semitic coding, which may or may not be intentional. Yeah, there are problems with the Ferengi. And this, and especially with Armin Shimmerman, there's a lot of work that's done in this show to course-correct a bit yeah. and try and make it less problematic and quark out of all the ferengi here is the most himself uh rom yeah. is too smart and lucid seeming and nog is basically a bargaining chip as cisco wins over the affection of odo by blackmailing quark into staying and helping promote the promenade and, the, and make sure no one else leaves. If this is a western town, then Quark runs the saloon. Yeah, exactly. It's the Al Square engine of it. Anyway, Quark's blackmailed. Odo loves blackmail. He, again, is very much a cop. Cisco gets sent to Bajor and told, you are the emissary, behold our secret lair, uh, keeping the, the amount of D&D that's needed in this kind of a setting. You, you, you've forgotten that, like... One of the big things, he, he met Picard earlier, and he's very grumpy with Picard because Picard did some bad things when he was assimilated. You would think that there would be a manual for this in Starfleet for, so you've been brainwashed and you killed a bunch of people. You you think that this would crop up more in Star Trek. You, you think that, like, the Federate, you know, you could just say, yeah, I was replaced by my Mirror Universe double. I was replaced by a robot. I am actually a robot. Um, yeah, I was possessed by a cloud and murdered half of the crew. Maybe I yeah. should get reassigned or someone else should speak to my victims or anything like that. But yeah, like Picard in TNG, I think, has warmed up slightly. But this feels like Picard from the pilot of TNG. Yeah. He's very cold and not very um, not very supportive, it feels like. It doesn't help that like the first thing Cisco says to him when they meet is you killed my wife and i want to transfer okay so Cisco's not necessarily bringing the positive energy to meeting either i did note down picard says specifically do everything short of violating the prime directive to uh to cisco and, oh boy oh in a few seasons time it's gonna get interesting what is the prime directive i think this is the first time we've ever had to mention it on this show it's not to interfere with cultures that aren't yet federation worthy or, or yeah worthy or anything it's like warp drive or something 
Yeah, basically that. So Picard is weighing up for, well, I'm not going to put in your transfer request yet because we've still got time on this pilot for you to get one over. And Cisco's like, whatever, and goes to Pedro, where he's told he's an emissary. Not really what that is, but he's shown like the secret layer underneath the church where you got this glorious CGI pool of water, which even watching this on a tablet, I was like, oh, that's ropey. That's some ropey water there. <laughs> but yeah, there are orbs. There are a number of orbs and he's given one to contemplate and told we um we're trying to find the celestial temple for religious magical stuff i've been realizing more and more i'm down with it as a kid i was like no it should only be science no it's fine there's no things in space uh speaking as a who fan the amount of time that ancient aliens have manipulated earth's history prehistory evolution and everything we, we, we should just be a pool of slime. Yeah. Human, humanity's been, like, interfered with and manipulated by like, several, like, seven different godlike races, three of whom might actually be the devil. So a time orb, I'm fine with that. Yeah, why not? And in this case, weird mystical orb things to analyse. And yeah, back up on the station, we get similar to Encounter at Farpoint, the back half of the show, here are some more characters just to sprinkle over your others with two of my favourites. And not just because I like the colour blue, but it's our science <laughs> and medical people, Jazdia Dax and Julian Bashir. And Bashir really wants to be a Kirk or a Riker, and he really isn't a Kirk or a Riker. No. It's made incredibly clear incredibly quickly. Bashir is the most British person in space. Yeah. Because he literally finds the he finds the one person he should insult and then insults them. Yeah, he doesn't quite go, you know, where is the boulangerie to loudly to Kira, but he is like, where can I get some fish and chips? Yeah. And Kira's not keen on his whole, oh, this misery is fascinating. Look at all these exotic alien races. I read Riker's biography. You get to bang like half of these, right? Oh, look at the poverty and the dirty people. So yeah, and like all of this starts off with him trying and failing to flirt with Dax, which is a good sign of how life is going to go for Bashir for, for the next few years. Meanwhile, Cisco is really happy to see Dax because they're mates back when Dax was a dude. Yeah, and like Dax is great fun anyway, just has that kind of confidence of someone that's lived way too many lives and is just, yeah. just enjoying Bashir's nonsense. And being able to play him like a fool. I had to explain what a trill was to, to my wife. Um, mm. Like, yeah, they're a symbiote race. They have like a little worm thing, which, you know, contains like centuries of experience in previous lives. And Dax and um, Jadzia is the current host. And she thought that was like really cool. And then Jadzia has a flashback to when she gets the symbiote. I didn't notice like until watching this on like good quality TV that she basically has a pouch. Mm. They essentially work like marsupials. I always thought it was like, it was, like cut them open, pop them in. I mean, I think later on there is some cutting for some, but those might not necessarily be receptive trills or trills. I forget now. But yeah, there's... Medically legal. And yeah, as you say, like we get a flashback and we see Dax as an old man, which 
is very cool. Like, we get a lot of Cisco calling Dax old man and going like, you know, yes, like in the olden days, all of this stuff. And Dax not only has Bashir off on the back foot because of all of the kind of fascinating alienness, which, of course, for a moment, she's like, yeah, I've got a slug in me. I was an old dude. He's like, wow. Okay, that makes you even more interesting. And Cisco hasn't figured out the Jadzia part yet, but he's yeah. still very much, this is my bud from back in the day. So yeah, it's good fun watching that kind of prior relationship that a couple of the cast have. You get O'Brien saying goodbye to the Enterprise, and for a moment I thought no one was going to turn up. I forgot Picard actually does. <laughs> it kind of almost wanted him to be like, no one I recognise on the bridge, I'll see myself out. <laughs> He gets to say goodbye to the Enterprise. And yeah, we get some more fun shenanigans with good friend of me in the pod, Golda Cat, who's there to be as sinister as you can get for Star Trek villains. He essentially walks on, twirling his moustache and laughing evilly. Yes, he needs a cape, like, I feel. Like, the only way he could be more evil was if he's holding up a sign saying, who is evil, this guy, with an arrow pointing at himself. Yeah, and he already knows about the orb that Cisco got gifted, and he's like, ooh, maybe we should do some stuff, you know, do some collabs. Uh, this was my office, this was my place, I'm not bitter about it, but I will instantly bring it up when the opportunity is there. It's, it's all looking a bit shaky with everything with DS9. It's obviously hotly contested, everyone's bordering on either staying because profit or just sodding off, and suddenly a wormhole opens. Ooh, that's fun. It's a little far away. It's, what was it, 600 kilometers? No, 160 million kilometers. 600 would have been way nearer. So do you think that was a random encounter role? Um, we're in the realm of mystical bullshit. So I don't know. Maybe if there was a GM for this, they'd have gone, okay, I'm just skipping ahead. Let's just turn up. Yeah. See, now we need to find a copy of, like, a Star Trek role-playing game to see if there is a random encounter table and see if there's a wormhole on the random encounter table. Oh, I know for a fact there are. Or at least there are random encounter things. I've no idea if there are, but I'm I'm going to look after this. So with all of this, like, Cisco and Dax take the box, go to the wormhole, check it out. It's, like, Bill and Ted-level CGI inside, <laughs> inside the wormhole, which is all a bit weird. Cisco is sent to the White Hot Room after a little bit of a, a disparaging... Uh, kind of you missed something very important. The wormhole spits them out into... The Gamma Quadrant, because I guess the universe according to Star Trek is split up into four quadrants, because space is a two-dimensional flat plane. Yeah, there's no up or down in space. There's no up or down, there are just straight lines. Yeah, I mean, no one refers to it in a TV show, so it's got to be no, just... No, planets don't move, they do not at any point revol you know, revolve around a sun or any other celestial body. Everyone, every single planet stays exactly where they're parked. Yeah, so instead of flat Earth theory, we're in what? Flat galaxy theory. Flat quadrant theory. Okay, cool, cool. As long as we're on the same page. But yeah, like, Dax gets off and it's nice and grassy. Cisco gets off and it's a rocky, you know, soundstage with storms. And the moment Dax is like, this is lovely, he admittedly, like, I thought he'd go, well, Dax, you're a bit weird. I'm used to this, though. <laughs> But no, you get that kind of, that disparity between them. And when Cisco is sent to the White Hot Room, Dax is sent back. Uh, okay, so what is the White Hot Room? Okay, an egg timer on myself. So, 
The White Hot Room is an interdimensional space where every host for Phoenix Force in the Marvel Universe is in some way. That includes people from the past. So you've got your Jean Grey, you've got your Hope Summers. In theory, Prime from the Malibu Ultraverse should also be there. <laughs> and Professor X from his brief stint as Bald Phoenix should be in there. I've not run out the egg timer, but I'm leaving it at that. I feel good in in having exposited about X-Men just briefly for this moment. So yeah, like Cisco Cisco gets a weird sequence with his whole bit of this story. Like he keeps flashing through bits of his life. We get to meet his wife alive this time via the medium of flashback and an alien force which we can only assume of the prophets are talking to him about like linear time and life and all of that stuff that you'd really need to ideally be a lot higher for which you know he he seems to take in good measure after a, a little bit of confusion and then cisco does the most american thing ever which is describe linearity and human existence using baseball yeah yep. he does that yep. you couldn't do it with cricket no no god i mean yeah linear time and cricket are difficult enough together <laughs> yeah it'll go on forever nothing much will happen but yeah with the baseball one when the prophets first speak to him it's in a rapid flash of different things different people and suddenly one of them is different from the others and it's a baseballer who for all i know is just a famous baseballer he saw on tv and everyone else is definitely part of his life and that felt jarring until he started explaining it. And obviously is a, a big baseball fan, like up there with Todd McFarlane buying ludicrously overpriced baseballs. And for all I know, that is the baseball he has in his office because I've yet to hear and can't remember his explanation for that one. But he's doing all this nonsense and the station is having some trouble. Golda Cat runs in the wormhole after him, going, Oh, they've orbed their way into, into space. Golda Cat basically wanted to do the for the classic forum post thing and post first. Yes. Like so couldn't. you know, Cisco and Dax yes do a forum post saying have discovered a wormhole. And Golda Cat just rushed in and goes he can go first. Poor Golda Cat. So yeah, he's vanished, and a bunch of Cardassians are getting really pissy about this. Somehow, they like Golda Cat which is probably a lie, but they're like, yeah, please return him. And of course, he's sped into a wormhole. Kira doesn't have him and frankly doesn't care for any of the Cardassians nonsense, nope. but has the fun idea of moving the space station. Yeah, moving the space station, which in true engineer in a Star Trek form, O'Brien says is impossible. Uh, luckily, Starfleet loves the impossible, can't get enough of it. So yeah, Kira. She seems actually on board with all of this. Now, yeah, she's the one that pitched the idea, but it's nice seeing her go from never working with anyone to, okay, let's do a teamwork. Let's get this going. Fire all the torpedoes to make it look like we've got more. This is one hell of a team building exercise. Hmm. Move a space station. Yeah, it's better than that kind of kick a ball around kind of first day on the job thing. Uh I, I once had to um, do a team-building exercise with a life-size set of Jenga. Oh, God. Yeah. Hang on. By life-size, isn't any set of Jenga a life-size set of Jenga? No, it's just massive Jenga blocks, like the size of bricks. Okay. Like, double the size of bricks. Okay, so, like, giant-size Jenga. Giant-size Jenga. Some cans of Fosters may have been involved. 
Of course. It's one of those things where I didn't mind all of the Cisco non-linear time explaining linear time to aliens thing. It went on a bit, but it was more painless than some of those. I might be biased. I have always loved the Cisco linear time. I think what this pilot does really well is combine, like, basically the pl- Cisco's A plot to Cisco's character plot by linking cisco coming to terms with the death of his wife Mm. and linking that in into realizing oh i want the job yeah it's that he needs to move on like cisco has a character i can honestly after like personal life stuff in the last year um the parts of the show where cisco breaks down because he keeps reliving the most painful moments of his life and real and the aliens are realizing oh wait these people who exists in a way we can't understand it may physically exist in a non in a linear universe but emotionally and spiritually they exist non-linearly yeah it's fascinating it's Mm. not quite morrisonian but it's it's of that ilk it's you know really good character writing for trek which one of the reasons i kind of dropped off trek was that like when i was 15 they don't feel like people they feel like they feel like action figures yeah so yeah, luckily, he's managed to figure out the best ways of explaining and showing linear time, but non-linear thought to the wormhole, aliens, prophets, whatever. And yeah, bursts open out of the wormhole, like he arrives, Goldacat arrives, is pissed off, but calls the lads off. He's like, no, they're not worth it. We're done for today. He he slinks off like a cartoon villain going, you know, I'll get you next time. Yeah. Yeah, he man. Yeah, again, close personal friend and role model, Skeletor. Goldacart, where I think would be a much more entertaining villain if he was played like Skeletor and had the Skeletor, the, the classic Skeletor voice. Yeah, but everyone had to deal with him like socially and politically exactly the same. But yeah. he was Skeletor. Yeah. Like, all the horrific genocides still happened, but he sounded like Skeletor. Yeah, I would love that. If someone better at technology than me could re-record this <sighs> with Goldacat only speaking in Skeletor voice, I would I would love that. I wouldn't have anything to give you, but I would appreciate it. You, you, would, get pay- you would get paid in exposure. Something which, as writers, we love so much. Uh, so yeah, anyway, for Wormhole Stable, passage is allowed. We're not going to say what's on the other side, but it's created a new frontier in space, despite being on an extremely static space station now 160 million kilometers away from Bajor, where it was originally supposed to kind of imprison and then protect. And also apparently going through the wormhole essentially hurts the aliens. Even though they're fine with this. And so Cisco's plan is basically, hey, let's make this a tourist destination. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't go fuck those aliens. But uh, yeah, you can't help but feel a little bad for them if the only way through makes pain. I don't know, maybe maybe stabilizing it makes the wound, makes it not painful, like punching your way back and forth through it. I don't know. I've never had a wormhole in me. Have you ever tried to punch your way through space? Uh, Not successfully. It, it gets tedious. You you have to have had a heroic amount of tequila. Oh, yes. Yes. Now that I have had. So, yeah, eventually we get our final chat with Picard going, yeah, don't worry. The doubts are gone. I can move on from my grief slash take this job. Picard 
I assume just left and didn't think about any of this ever again was like, well, that was a meeting. <sighs> but Picard is just like, okay, great, fine. Okay, where am I ne- meant to go now? Yeah, yeah. Cisco's having a very important emotional moment and Picard is thinking, I wonder what they're serving in the canteen today. Yeah, for Picard it was Tuesday. For Picard it was Tuesday. So yeah, it's interesting seeing the difference between these three. Hmm. All of them have had some level of entertainment. Yeah. I I think this one, like you were saying, um, I know as someone who's been through kind of loss and grief and personal stuff, it definitely hits different on the other on the other side of that. When I saw this as a 10, 11 year old, you know, like I remembered that scene growing up, mm. but then like going back when you've just, you know, when you kind of get it. Yes. It like, it's like, it's really, it's really good stuff. So it's one that has character arcs as mm. well as, exploring the characters like going these are characters who exist the characters who come off the weakest i would say are bashir and odo yeah um but then you get that great scene when the kardashians are attacking the station and odo has to help bashir stop someone from bleeding out and it's really nice to see like odo who's very who's been kind of tough and gruff this entire time kind of be like um can someone else do this i don't like blood i don't have it Yes, yeah, it was fascinating seeing that growth in a single episode. Mm. I think when it comes to ranking this, you and I are probably on the same wavelength here. Yes. I'm thinking this is our new number one. This is currently the number one. Yes. It's just, it's a good story. It's, it's still it's good. It's very much a Star Trek. It's still got its elements of legacy from next gen, but that's not overworked. It's not overdone. I feel this has more theatricality than encounter at farpoint but it doesn't like with with like a lot of the cisco scenes like he, the cisco scenes where you know where he's having to break down over jennifer's death you know could be like a one man stage show and yeah. it works so yeah i i feel fairly confident about this being number 1 and this will draw us to the end of this episode where next time you'll see whether it still is in the number one spot beating out the pilots for Star Trek Voyager, Enterprise and Star Trek Discovery. I admit I've seen Voyager's pilot a couple of times and the others literally only ever once. So I'm curious to see what they're like. I have seen the Voyager one once, the Discovery one once, and I have seen the Enterprise one once plus 20 minutes a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Was that just bailing out because you couldn't take it? Um, kind of. Fair enough. That's that's going to be an interesting one. So if you've enjoyed us talking about Star Trek today, as well as our many deviations, then join us for the next episode. Subscribe if you've not already done so. If whatever podcatcher you use has a rating system, rate us kindly. We haven't yet set up a Patreon, but we might. So there'll be a link in the show notes if we if we get confident enough to do that. And we, we, we need at least 11 subscribers before we can, yeah. you know, honestly put forward a Patreon. Yes. And if 11 of you subscribe and we start up a Patreon, we'll even get people requesting episodes for us to cover and rank on our giant list and have uh, special episodes about things like star trek role-playing games and i will make miles describe to me star trek novels of which i've read 
blissfully few. I have read a few, and I one of those also guests are the X-Men. Yes. You see, I think that would be the Holy Grail to be to make you read Planet X. Uh, okay, for any of my friends that like to see me suffer, subscribe to a podcast, subscribe to a Patreon, make me have to read Planet X, because I really don't want to. Then we will we'll force you to write the fanfic sequel, which we can call Planet of X, Powers of Ten. Ah, oh, that's you twisted genius. On that note, just before we close out, if you like what we do here, check out my work on Who Dares Rolls, where I talk about indie role-playing games on YouTube and sometimes in writing as well. Skyshark.itch.io contains my comics, currently comic, but there's going to be a sequel soon. And on Twitter at Charlie underscore E-N, where I post about the X-Men literally every day as I've been reading a comic a day and I'm up from the 90s now where it's just about to get really bad. Uh, Miles, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at, at ManMiles, all one word, lowercase. Um, if for some reason you want to see me performing improv, you can see me at Takoyaki Entertainment on YouTube. And further things will be announced forthcoming. Just, you know, balls are in the air. Fantastic. Cool. So that's it from us. We still haven't figured out any kind of outro. So without further ado, I guess this review of the pilots is to be continued. Live long and have a jelly baby. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's where we have to end it. Okay. Bye, folks. You have been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. The intro theme was by Alfred Etheridge Nunn, Star Trek's owned by Paramount, and Casual Trek is part of the Nerd and Tie Network.